Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, good morning. All right, y'all, we've got a lot of ground to cover in the Bible today. We're going to be over in Genesis chapter 3, but before that, i got to say something. Do you know next week really officially kicks off Christmas season? Right? Yeah. Some of y'all already been listening to music. I know. I know. Um, My kids, I love them. They're like, Dad, nobody respects Thanksgiving. That's what they say. They're like, that's right, boys. We're going to just eat turkey. So we're, but Christmas starts um, next Sunday, and our, we'll have a new sermon series. We've got a whole month, really, around here, Christmas is a celebration. It's not a tradition. It's a celebration, right, of the new life we have in Christ, Christ coming to the earth. Big deal. We're going to be reading through um, the letter to the Philippians, and it's going to be all about joy. It's going to be an awesome time. And I'm bringing it up right now to remind you um, to make the most of the Christmas season, because we live in the Bible Belt, all right? Here's what that means for us around Christmas. Around here... Christmas and Christianity are still kind of a package deal, all right? So it's, by that I mean it's, cultural, it's culturally normative to go to church um, during the Christmas season, even if you're not a Christian. So I'm telling you that because your friends, family, coworkers, et cetera, are going to be a lot more um, likely even than normal to accept an invitation for you to come and hear about the hope and the joy that they can find in Christ during Christmas. So you've got the whole month now to get ready for that as we celebrate um, Christmas together, all right? So that's your kind of heads up. That's coming. I know you might say, yeah, but my friends go home for Christmas or whatever. They'll go home for a whole month, all right? So start this week and let's do it for a whole week and let's expect God to move over the course of the Christmas season together, all right? Now, with that said, we got to get to work today. Genesis 3 is where we're going to be. I want to kind of set up for you where we are, because it's the last weekend in our series that we've called Created, where we're walking through Genesis 1 through 3. So give me just a second to get us to where we are today. If you've been with us, this will start to ring true for you. If you haven't been with us, this will catch you up. We launched in saying that the goal was to see what God has created us for, right? So a series created, what God has created us for, what is our purpose in life? Because people who know their purpose in life, there's a sense of clarity then about what you're supposed to be doing, right? Decisions might still be hard, but at least there's a target on the wall and a sense of consistency that I live my life with when I know what my purpose is, right? And then we said in the absence of purpose, a lot of times what happens is our passions, the things that we get excited about, like purpose, that's what we're supposed to be about in life. Passions, things we can get excited about. But in the absence of purpose, sometimes our passions will come in, they'll hop in the driver's seat, and they'll start taking us all over the place, right? Because we're never supposed to be driven by our passions, we were supposed to be driven by our purpose. And one of the um, most recent examples that I've seen of this of people driven by their passions, because when you get driven by your passions, you start to get knocked all over the place. Um, My family just got the... um, this little app on our TV where we can watch like 10 or 12 channels like the internet provider gave it to us. And so one of them is the Food Network, all right? So we've been into, for some reason, Holiday Baking Championships, all right? Now, Holiday Baking Championships, baking can be a passion, 
All right? I like food. You like food. Baking's good. It can be a passion. You'll start to see when it becomes a purpose, when these competitors, like when one person's Yule log doesn't measure up to the quality of the other person's and their fondant, 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 whatever, is, is like out of place, and they lose it, right? When the fondant's not just perfect. And you're like, when your emotional well-being is so tied to a fondant, something's a little wrong, right? And we all know that. Watch them, we're like, oh my goodness, those people have a problem. Yet it's true about all of us, right? There are different things that if we were to back up, we'd go, that should never carry that much emotional weight with us, right? For some of y'all, maybe it's Call of Duty. For some of you, maybe it's just vacation and leisure. Maybe it's work, something else. It should never, it, you kind of know when you're in that space where passions have taken on purpose in that deep-rooted spot that should have never had because you get oddly triggered by things that should never carry that amount of weight. Happens all the time, um, and it might be different things for different ones of us. The reality is we were just created to be driven by something so much more than those passions. And that's what Genesis 1-3 through has been about is what is that more, right? And so we saw this glorious creation account that we've been going through now for a few weeks where we're created for this kind of twofold purpose, like not the passions, but what are created for that twofold purpose first is this relationship with God where we actually know the God that created us. And what happens in creation is this father in heaven, his love spills out onto creation. And so people are now supposed to experience the same love that Jesus was experiencing with the father forever. That's our first purpose. In fact, all of January, we're going to be looking in the Psalms, looking at what it means to know God, to know that love. And that's our, our first purpose. But then the second is to display that character of God to the world around us. And that's what we've been going through, what it looks like for men to do that, women to do that, what it looks like for the church to do that. That's what we've been walking through is to display his love, his kindness, his provision, his compassion, all these things to display that character to the world around us, to receive love from God and then display it to the world around us. That's our purpose, right? And the, the first, by the way, the first one is the fuel for the second, right? So the more we are with God, the more we will show God, Right? I got to think of it, I was talking to our uh, middle and high schoolers, I was in their Bible study for just a minute during the first service, and, I said, and we were talking about what that looks like, and I was like, yeah, I kind of realized that, like, the more I'm around Pastor Richard, the better my shoe game gets, right? <laughs> because his shoe game is pretty incredible, so just being around him, my, the more I'm around Charlie, our worship director, the tighter my jeans seem to get, because that's like the style <laughs> supposed to have, right? The more I'm around Pastor Scott, there is no way I'm touching South Florida style. So that actually doesn't rub off on me in any way, shape, or form, right? But you know, the more you're around someone, the more you start to kind of become like them. And that's what it's supposed to be. The more we're receiving the love of God, the more people should see the love of God. But then last week, what we said was, that's, the reality is though, that sounds awesome. It'd be great to know God and to see God and experience God from all, from all these different people that are in my life and for me to show God to them. That'd be great, but that's not the way the world is at all. And that was most of last week's sermon was talking about why the world isn't that way, right? Instead, what we have are natural disasters, fires, hurricanes. We have disasters of our own making, evil that exists in the world, school shootings being a simple one that we would all agree, that's not right. And something inside of each of us, Christian or not, Christian or not, there are times and moments in our world that we look, whether it's the news or whether something happens in our own lives, and we go, that's not right. That should not be that way. And when the Christian message comes along and says, you know what? In a sense, you're right. 
The world is messed up. And listen to me. Every single worldview, I don't know what one you came in here, maybe you came with a friend and you're just kind of exploring, checking out Christianity. Every worldview, every belief system has to account for why is there evil in the world. And that's what we talked about last week. And we said the biggest thing that you have to, to see is before you can say, yes, there's evil out there, before you can think of evil as something that's just out there, we have to also remember that evil is something that's in each one of us. And that's the Christian message accounts for that and says, yes, there is evil inside of each of us. It's just a reality, a reality that we are each messed up. <laughs> All right, so last week we looked as the, as the first sin destroyed Adam and Eve. We took a deep dive into sin and it, how it deceives us. So what we're doing today, we're picking up right there. Where Adam and Eve have now, they've sinned against God, and now they're standing before God, about to receive the, the curse, the consequence of their sin. And then we're going to get just a, a little hope that we're going to grab onto and ride all the way uh, to the end of the sermon, this little hope of how God's going to save them from it. So here's, here's the, the outline for today. The rest of today is <laughs> we're going to look at the curse that sin brought and then how Jesus reverses it. There's the way I told the first, I was like, you need to think of it like I would call this the, the rewind sound, right? It's going to be, the curse that Adam and Eve brought, and then, whoop, 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 you know, how, I don't know what, I, you know, the rewind sound, how Jesus reverses that curse. And we'll see it in a number of ways. It's awesome. But let's jump in. Let's see. We're in verse 16. Let's get reminded just real briefly of these curses so that you can see how Jesus is going to reverse them. He said to the woman, this is God talking to Eve, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. I have witnessed four childbirths. It's painful. It looked terrible, right? So, you, <laughs> and I can't like ever complain to Courtney, right? Like, man, my shoulder's hurting. Really? You'll talk about pain? Anyways, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Not only, look, pain in all areas of life increases, like it amplifies, but also there's this relational conflict because our desires are corrupted. We experience what the Bible calls idolatry. All right, what happens is we start to experience emotions in relationships that before sin we wouldn't have. Things like bitterness, unhappiness, anger. And uh, there's an old theologian, St. Augustine, African theologian, um, who said those emotions, they're like smoke from a fire. And the fire is idolatry. It's worshiping something that can't hold the weight of our worship. For example, if you are someone who believes that you need romance to be happy, now, you may not know that you believe it, but you functionally kind of operate that way. If you need romance to be happy, to be content, then when someone else that you know finds romance, maybe they get engaged, something like that, you can't not hate them, at least a little bit. Now, you won't say that, right? When you say, oh, I'm so happy for you. But when it pops up on their Facebook feed, their relationship status change, you're like, ugh. You know what I mean? That, that, that emotion comes out because what's happening there is your idol, the thing that you've been worshiping, is not delivering. It's failing you. And that's why you can't help but feel anger, bitterness, unhappiness, because you're so tied to that. Uh, my old pastor used to say, you show me these emotions, worry, despair, anger, bitterness, and, and I'll show you smoke from a fire of idolatry, which means worshiping a passion, worshiping something 
that was never meant to hold our worship. So then verse 17, now he, now he gives the curse to the man. Curse to the woman. Our relationships are going to be out of whack. Pain's going to be intensified. Now to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree by which I commanded you don't eat from it, the ground's cursed because of you. You'll eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you. You'll eat the plants of the field. You'll eat the bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you'll return to dust. See, another consequence, we saw it last week, of sin is death. And not just physical death, eternal separation from God. Now, listen, they didn't drop dead right here on the spot. We know that. But what happened was that they, the separation from God began that would lead to their ultimate demise. Right? It's kind of like uh, my, my boys have this glow-in-the-dark basketball. Right? So you put it up to the light, and as long as it's on that light, It'll be really bright the second you move it off it. But if you turn the, once you turn the lights off, it's just a matter of time, right? The ball slowly starts to get less bright. The glow starts to go out of it. That's what's happened to Adam and Eve. Now separated from God, they are slowly decaying and eventually they will die. They'll die. And so here's what we have. We have our two purposes, relationship with God, relationships with each other are now gone. In fact, look at um, Genesis 3.23. It's kind of the, just the final thing here. God says he sends them away from the Garden of Eden to work from the ground which he has taken. The eternal presence of God is now gone. Our father, our companion, our friend, our shepherd, gone. And now left to ourselves, we're wandering the earth, right? Wandering the earth and kind of just functioning in our own desires. Instead of reflecting the image of God to people, we use people. We oppress the weak. We're selfish Sin's consequences were unbearable. They were unspeakable. And we brought them on ourselves, and we still do it today. We still do it today. I told the last service, y'all, y'all know, um, some of y'all know that my family's just been through a really hard time. Courtney lost her dad, and, and um, it's just been a painful past three weeks. And I, have, I know that my role is to try and image God in her life, and that means the comforter and the provider of the Heavenly Father. I'm to try and image that in my wife's life because I'm the closest person to her. Yet, what happened this week? I mean, just, just candidly with you guys, this week there was a moment where I just, I said, even said it out loud. I was like, you know what? I'm just tired of this because grief has a way of weighing on you. And I was like, I'm just tired of this. We just need to get past this. Now, what happened in that moment? There was no, now I'm not going to tell you what happened in the next moment. She's a, she's a very loving and patient woman. But there was that moment, what was going on inside of me was that I wasn't imaging God, right? I was given over to my desires. The image of God was far from me. In fact, I wasn't thinking about Courtney at all. I was thinking about me. It happens, y'all. We're still in that day to day, moment to moment. Because see, what had happened was, what happens with Adam and Eve happens to us. In their sin, they thought happiness was found in trying to be God, be the one that makes the ultimate decisions. But all along, true happiness was actually found being with God, not trying to be God. And we said, until you get to that point where you see how lost you are, that this is broken and this is broken, until you see that you need saving from your sin, you really aren't going to have any use for Jesus. But if you do believe that you need hope, if you do believe you are in a spot where you cannot fix yourself, look, the rest of today is going to be awesome for you. I'm going to show you the great hope and what is otherwise, and let's just be real, Genesis 3, a really dark story. Here's what happens next. God looks at the snake, the one that deceived Adam and Eve, the one that the Bible says that is the devil himself. God looks at him, and he curses him as well. 
And he says, I will put, this is Genesis 3.15, hostility between you and the woman. Between your offspring, her offspring, he will strike your head, you will strike his heel. This verse, 15, is what sets the rest of the Bible into motion. All right? The offspring of the snake and the offspring of the woman will be in conflict with one another. But I want to look at this, um, look at this verse closely, okay? We did like a little bit of forensic Bible analysis last week, I realized. This won't be as far as that, but there's a couple of words I want you to, to see. It's particularly the pronouns. He says in the second, uh, second sentence of verse 15, he, the offspring of the woman, so not the woman, but he, some, one of her children in her lineage, he will strike the head, another word, really probably better translation is crush, the head of the serpent, and it will strike your head. So I want you to see he, I want you to see your. So the offspring is not going to strike the head of the offspring of Satan. The offspring of Eve is going to strike and crush the head of Satan himself. You see, that, that's massively important here because now the plot for the Bible is set into motion. These two forces, good and evil, are waging war against each other, and it's a battle that each one of us still feel today. The good and the evil waging war inside of us. What I was talking about with me and Courtney, who I'm supposed to be and who I, who I tend to be anyways, it's Romans 7 with Paul saying, I want to do some things, but I don't do those. Instead, I do the things I don't want to do. And he says, who will save me, wretched man that I am? I'll get to who saves him. Uh, spoiler alert, is Jesus, right? But let's keep going. Some point, one of Eve's offspring is going to come along and get the final victory over the enemy but the enemy's gonna wound him in the process. So what happens is Moses is writing this and the question becomes, uh, well, who? Right, in that moment, the question is, well, who's the offspring? And so then you start to see, is it Moses? Well, what we find is that, no, Moses is just like Adam, right? He experiences God's faithfulness firsthand, right? With the, the plagues and then he gets to be the one that leads Israel out of Egypt. That's salvation that he experiences, the parting of the Red Sea, the, the pillar of smoke, pillar of fire. That's God's faithfulness firsthand. And yet, what does Moses do? Later, he chooses to reject God's word and trust in his own strength. So Moses couldn't be the Messiah that pays for the sins of others because Moses is a sinner. Then there's the great David, who's just like Adam, he experiences God's faithfulness, the great victory over Goliath and the Philistines, a lot of other victories as well. But then he chooses his desires for pleasure and for power instead of trusting God's word. So he couldn't be the Messiah. It couldn't be him that's the offspring. He couldn't crush the head of the serpent because he bought into the same lie that the serpent had told to Adam. Each of the judges we looked at earlier this year, same thing happened. In one way or another, they were like Adam, weak, unable to save God's people because they were sinners, just like God's people. Y'all, the Old Testament ends just crying out for a Messiah. Israel is lost in the land, lost in their sin. This, their relationship with God is fractured. Their relationship with one another is a mess. And that's where Jesus comes in. The New Testament makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is the offspring of Eve. If you read um, Luke 3, uh, Luke 3 is just a long lineage, okay? And it's sometimes easy for us to skip over those. But Luke 3 starts um, with Jesus is the son of Joseph, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. And it's like a lot of this guy's the son of this guy's son of this guy. Because it goes all the way back to Adam. Now, why put that in there? So that you know that this is the offspring of Eve that Israel has been waiting for. The Apostle Paul, when he read Genesis 3.15, he saw that this promise, there will be an offspring that's going to crush 
the head. He saw it fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, he saw Adam just as a type of the one who would come, a second Adam who would come and reverse every, reverse, reverse. No, it would just come and (laughs) fix everything that Adam had broken. And in doing so, reverses the curse of sin that's on us. Look at Romans 5, 17. Since by one man's trespass, by the way, I always say this, um, we'll have scripture on the screen. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, we got extras out there for you. We'd love for you to get one on the way out because we want you to know and interact with God's word. But we'll have it up here for you if you, if you don't have it. All right. So anyways, um, since by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more? So death reigns in us all because of Adam's sin. That's what that's saying. How much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Paul's saying, yeah, we're all under the same curse, but we are all, look at this word, gifted, the gift of righteousness, because we can't earn it. We are gifted righteousness through the one man, Jesus Christ. We were under death, right? And then what did Christ do? Gives us life. Let me show you how he reverses the curse and in doing so rescues us from our sin. Look, Adam trusted his desires. This is the next thing you could write. How does Jesus reverse the curse? Well, Adam trusted his own desires. Jesus trusted God's word. See, there's this moment just after Jesus' baptism where he goes into the wilderness, not a plush garden like Adam had with lots of food. No, he goes into a wilderness. He fasts for 40 days. And then Satan comes along and he tempts him three, not one time, three times to try and deny God, because if he can get Jesus to deny God, to choose, to believe Satan's lie, then Jesus can be dropped into the rest of the camp with Adam, with Moses, with David, with the judges, and he can't be the savior of the world, because it will be just another sinner like the rest of them. And so Matthew 4, 8, the devil takes him, I'm going to read you the third, um, the third of the three temptations. The devil took him again to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, their splendor. And he said to him, I'll give you all these things if you'll fall down and worship me. Look at all this available for you. And Jesus told him, go away. Go away, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See what happened? Just like with Adam, Satan tempts Jesus to believe that Jesus needs more than what he already has from God. And that's the temptation we all hear from Satan as well. That's the temptation we all hear in our sin that God has not provided enough for us and we need something else. Remember Satan's first words to Eve, has God really said? This is just another whisper of that same lie, trying to get Jesus to reject God. But Jesus, this Adam is different. He doesn't run away from God's word to satisfy himself. He runs deeper into it to find safety and security and goodness in the words of God instead of apart from them. This is the savior we need, one who does what we can't do. And listen, this is really important to me. Sometimes when you see a passage like this, the temptation can be on us. Okay, now just live exactly like Jesus lived. So just like Jesus never, ever sinned, you never, ever sin. And y'all, that, that becomes a weight that we can't carry, right? Because that'll, that'll do good for you until maybe four o'clock today, maybe actually maybe on the parking lot on the way out. Like, you know what I mean? When you fall victim to your own desires again, the point of this is not just to say, 
be perfect like Jesus is perfect. Yes, he is the image we are supposed to model our lives after, but it's to say, thanks be to God that there is one who didn't sin who could pay for my sins, right? That's what you have to see. It should be a, a response to this is not like guilt. I gotta be perfect like Jesus is perfect, but worship because he was. Worship because he was, but it goes even further. Listen, Adam's disobedience brought a curse, but Jesus's obedience brings salvation, right? Now rewind. God had told them not to eat of the tree. What we said last week, this is the only thing he told them not to do, and they did it. So now they're destined for death. The serpent got them, and that curse is like poison that will slowly kill them, It'll slowly kill us all. That's what disobedience to God, that's sin, that's the poison that will kill us because the wages of sin is death. We saw last week, Jesus was also given a command from God, wasn't he? He was told to go upon a cross and die for the sins of all of us. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was feeling the weight of what he had to do, instead of running from God's word, he looks to the Father and he says, not my will which will be to let this pass from me, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to trust your words. And when others look to him in faith, they can be saved from death. Look, Jesus talks about it. Here's how Jesus talks about it. You guys know probably the most famous verse in the Bible, famous verse in our culture anyways, it's a Bible verse, is John 3.16. Well, to understand John 3.16, you need John 3.14 and 15. Shocker, it comes before 3.16. I want to show you what he says right there about this salvation that he offers us from our sin. 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. What? All right. If you're newer to the Bible, Jesus is referring to a pretty bizarre story that's recorded over in Numbers chapter 21. It's a short story. You should go read it. Here's what happens. The people of Israel are complaining because they have been taken out of Egypt, out of slavery, but now they're complaining because they're hungry. And so they think this whole thing was a mistake. And they're mad at Moses for bringing them out and mad at God for bringing them out. And what happens is God sends serpents out of all the things he could send. He sends serpents into the camp and the serpents start biting everyone. And these serpents are poisonous. And they bite them and the people start to die. And as they start to die, they start to have this moment of, oh my goodness, we need help. So they cry out, save us, save us, Moses. And Moses cries out to God, God, save us. And God tells Moses to do the oddest thing. All right, look, this is Numbers 21.8. The Lord God said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. And when anyone who is bitten looks at it, then he will recover. It's an odd thing. Out of all the ways God could have cured them, why in the world why anything in this arena, let alone a snake, that doesn't that represent evil, is now being lifted up? And I look at the snake, I find healing? Here's what's happening. Jesus gives us the explanation for this. Because he says, no, 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 it's not a snake that's lifted up on the pole. It's something that's in the image of the snake, but doesn't have the poison that the snake has. Here's what Jesus says. Philippians 2 makes this very clear for us. Jesus comes in the likeness of human form. Humans who are all sinful, who have the poison of sin inside of us. Jesus comes in the likeness of human form, but he himself doesn't have the poison of sin in himself. 
and he is lifted up onto the cross so that those who look to him will live. Just as those who were laying on the ground, writhing in pain, all they had to do, did they have to heal themselves? No. God says, just tell them to look at it. Look at that thing that's made in the image of that which is sinful, but the sin's been taken out of it. Just look at that, and they'll live. And by the way, if you guys, some of you are not Christians, or maybe you think sometimes Christians are a little bit crazy, like, why are y'all so insistent on people believing this gospel? Why are y'all so like, it seems like y'all get a little too excited about it sometimes. Here's why. It's because we have looked, and that's all we had to do. God didn't tell us to earn our way back to him. He just said, look and live. And we see people that don't have that salvation, and they're dying because of the poison that's running through their veins and sin, and they're writhing on the ground with their eyes closed. And we're like, just take your hands off and look. There's nothing special about Christians. It's just that we're looking to the one who's been raised up, and we found life there, and we long for you to have that same life. That's it. And Jesus then, with that, then he says, John 3, 16. For God so loved, loved, me and you, put your name in there. God so loved the world. In this way, he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes, looks to him, should not die like they died in the wilderness but have eternal life. To look to Jesus means to believe what he did for you. That that death on the cross was where you should have been, but he took your place. The penalty of your sin was death. He gets up on the cross in your place. That's just part of the good news. He died for you. So you're not under the penalty of death anymore. And it leads us right to our next point, even more good news. Where Adam's sin inaugurated death, Jesus' resurrection defeats it. He, defe he got out of the grave, defeats death. The gospel message says Jesus didn't just die for our sin. He went beyond that to defeat death itself. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, I, I've been hanging on to this verse for a long time, Now I love this verse. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? See, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, yes, death still happens. Yeah, we're still, we have sinful nature, corrupted bodies, but the penalty's taken away. The penalty is taken away. And so he says, we'll not face eternity apart from God anymore. We'll be in eternity with God. This is why New Testament authors were clinging to the hope of eternity, y'all, in the midst of pretty awful lives. Like if you read through their circumstances and situations, they were being killed, ostracized, right, because of their, because of what they believed. But you have guys like um, Peter and Paul, you know, they're like, hey man, if you just got to stop talking about Christ, talk about anything, you got to stop talking about Christ. This is the religious authorities. He's like, listen, to live is Christ. I got to talk about him. Well, we're going to put you in prison. Well, I'm going to lead the prisoners to faith. You do that. They're all going to start singing. Well, then we're going to kill you. To die is gain, right? There's <laughs> nothing they could do to these guys. Because, listen, death is something that every worldview has to have an answer for that too. 
And the most common one in our world, world right now, the cultural worldview, is just to ignore it and hope that it doesn't come. It's coming. Death comes for us all. And the Christian message is one of victory. Death, there's, there's no sting in death anymore. Only because of the hope we have in Christ. Because we have looked. Because we have looked to him. So Jesus says to his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you can have peace. You will have suffering in this world. But be courageous. I've overcome the world. So when you go through suffering, Christian, you will go through suffering as a Christian. I feel like we need more of a theology that understands suffering, that embraces suffering, because we will go through it. And in that, we can find more of the glory of God as our true provider. But don't be surprised when you go through physical suffering, financial suffering, if you hear the lie of the enemy, right? Any preaching that tells you, no, no, just believe God more and you'll be free from that financial suffering. You'll be free from that physical suffering. You're just not believing God enough. No, that's the enemy. That's a lie from Satan. Twisting God's words to tickle our ears and stoke the flames of our sin nature. But Jesus has overcome the world. He's conquered the world. And when we go through suffering, James says, count it joy when we go through suffering, because in that we're actually experiencing a, a, a deeper revelation of how much God provides for us, how faithful he is to us than we could ever experience without it. See, the gospel says your sin has set you on a course for death, for eternal separation from God, but, right, Ephesians 2, 4, but... Christ took sin's penalty on the cross. He defeated its power in the resurrection. And for those who believe Christ died for them and he got out of the grave, the gospel says plain and simple, you will be saved because Jesus has reversed the curse of sin and death. Let me take the last couple of minutes and talk about how we respond to this. How do you respond to the gospel? This is where this whole thing has been building towards in our series. How do we respond to it? The first one is repent. Repent. Look, there is nothing less sexy in our modern culture than this word right here. Admit you're wrong. Pfft. We'll do anything to avoid doing that. Right? Admit you're wrong and then turn from it. But y'all, the gospel message is for sinners. It's for those who know that they are wrong. You got to own your sin. You got to own that you need saving from it. When I first heard this, I was a teenager in a worship service like this. And man, I just felt this weight on me as the guy was explaining the gospel message. And I, was re and I realized as he was going through it, and I was just kind of just sitting there, I felt like nobody else was in the room kind of moment, just kind of talking directly to me sort of thing. And I, what I realized was the weight was me fighting against needing God because I don't want anyone else in control of my life. I want that to just be me. And I was fighting against that, but at the same time knowing that I was a sinner. That was legit, that there was evil inside of me, and I would continue to make wrong decisions and everything else, and I'd be held accountable for those by God. And that moment, y'all, it was an act of that weight. It was literally, or at least it felt like this to me. I was putting that weight down, like a soldier putting his weapons down at the feet of a conquering king. And that's why the Bible, it calls it like, to repent is to surrender. Hands up. Repent. 
And maybe it's some of you guys, men and women, it's time. Today is time. Stop fighting him. Stop fighting him and repent. But then the next step is to believe. If repent is to put your hands up, believe is to extend those hands out to God and say, now you take me wherever. You do it. And he'll do it. He will save you. Romans 10, 9, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Not you might be saved. Not as long as your record isn't too bad, you'll be saved. There is nobody that has a dark enough past that God looks at you and says, nope, that's too far. No, 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 I died for most, but no, 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 no. That's No, not possible. No one who has run so far away that the Heavenly Father won't bring you back. You can't outrun the love of God. There's an old um, pastor, Richard Sibbs. He said, thank God that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. That's all we're saying as believers. Thank God. Thank God there's more mercy in Christ. I know there's sin in me. And so today you need to believe. And I want to take a second, because here's where we live in an odd um, culture. We're in the Bible Belt, and there's a dangerous possibility, it's kind of odd, that you could think you're a Christian but not actually be one. I got to address this, because Jesus says one day there will be some who will die, they'll go stand before him, and they'll say, hey, uh, let me into heaven, and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's a reality, it's there in Scripture, so let me be clear about something. You are not born into the Christian faith. In fact, Jesus says, John 3, you're reborn into it. You're born a sinner. We talked about that a lot. Just because you've been around church, around the Christian faith, because you know some Bible stories, right? You know some Bible facts. None of that makes you a follower of Christ. The only way you become a Christian is realizing you were bitten by the serpent. And the only hope you have is looking to the one held up on the cross. Uh, last week, I had a young guy go through this. Actually, this morning, too, uh, in the first service. Guy comes to me because he church attendance, that kind of thing. Grew up around it, but realized, a couple of people, I realized that they'd never taken that step to say, no, I, I realize that I need to repent, and I need to believe, not just be around Jesus, but to give my life to him. Now, on the other hand, some of you may have had a moment of surrender, maybe a, a moment like I did when I was a teenager, but no life change. And look, I'm never going to sit in the seat reserved for God. So I'm not sitting here as your judge. That ain't for me. I'm as your pastor and your shepherd warning you that when God saves, with, with gospel salvation comes gospel transformation. Change comes with that. And so if something happened 10 years ago, 30 years ago, praise God that it did. And I'm trying to scare you. I'm trying to say, are you resting in God's work now, today? And are you following him, right? He's not just get out of hell insurance. Are you following him with your life and experiencing the abundance of joy that comes with that? Here's the third thing, this one and the last one. Response to the gospel is to live the gospel. I'm so excited for this one. This is one that I think most of us really need to dig into uh, coming out of this. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you're saved by grace, by grace, through faith, not your own work. You couldn't do it. It's God's gift. 
so that not from your own works so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship. We are created, right? Workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. See that? You are a new creation in Christ. I almost wanted to call the series Recreated, but it would have looked like Recreated, I think, like when you read it, so that would have been weird. But it's this idea of you are a new, create, created again, now in Christ, and you are called, now with this relationship restored, to again show the image and character of God through the love of Christ, displaying the love of Christ to the world around you. And he has wired you each for that, and me too. In fact, question for your car ride home today. How? How's he wired you for that? If, if you believe the gospel, the question this week is, well, now how can you live the gospel? Maybe one example, maybe there's a financial need you know of, needs meeting. And now here's how you process that. God gave me new life, restored this when I didn't deserve it, but I desperately needed it. He was radically generous to me, so I'm going to be radically generous to others. And so you give cheerfully, not reluctantly, not out of guilt, so you can make God happy. No, 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 no. That's not gospel living. That's works-based living. You give cheerfully. Maybe it's serving somebody. I, I, just, I don't believe you can be a healthy follower of Christ and not serve other people, right? In fact, I, I look forward, I pray for the day um, where we all kind of gather in here each weekend, even in like a, a church worship service where it's not just come and receive. You don't sit and say, all right, let me come and receive and measure my church experience by what I receive. Yes, I hope you are blessed by the preaching of the word of God and that God creates it that way. And when we take communion, everything else we sing, you should receive. You should be blessed by what happens in here. But what if you also came thinking, what can I give away today? How can I serve someone else today? You don't need a position on some ministry team to do that. Right? It can be the person to my left, person to my right. Before I leave today, how can I pray over them? How can I help them connect to the body? How can I, how can I serve someone else? Right? Because I have been served radically by the love of God. Are we living the gospel? And then here's the last one. Tell the gospel. If this message is true, how can we not share it? How can we not? Now, if you feel awkward telling others what you believe, let's just make sure we got a right perspective. It might be awkward, but if you care about people, anyone, enough to care where they spend eternity, you choose eternity over awkward. Charles Spurgeon, I, I know I quote him from time to time, but this is just one that has hung with me and really shaped, I think, the way I do ministry. He said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. That's why I talked at the beginning about Christmas, right? It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just another moment. Eternity is at stake. When we planted this church and we've said it time and again and we said it for the moment, we planted it. We didn't do this to play a game. We believe eternity is at stake for everyone. And so every weekend we preach the gospel around here and we give radically and we try and say, it's why every week we end the service with, you are sent, because you are. 
We all are with this great hope because we have looked and seen and believed and we've been freed, set free from death. And there are people writhing on the ground. They may not even know it, dying in their sin. And we can point them to the one that can save them. That's why I mentioned Christmas because it's just a celebration that that one came. Hey, I want to finish this just to give you a chance to respond however it is that you need to. So why don't we get into a, a posture of prayer? Um, once you bow your head, close your eyes. You've heard these four different responses. Maybe you need to take the first two. Repent and believe. I want to talk to you in a second. Christian, let me give you something to, to pray over. How can I live the gospel this week? You might need to also repent. Because we still struggle with sin. Told you about just mine just this week. We still struggle with it. We still sin. Maybe you need to turn back to the Lord again and thank him for your salvation. Rest in it now. We're about to sing and you'll be able to worship him there too. Rest in what the Lord has done for you. Not in what you do for the Lord and what he's done for you. But if you've never crossed that line on your own. Maybe you've been around church a while, maybe not. Maybe you've been around Jesus, but that's different than following Jesus. And you've never said, okay, I repent of my sin and I believe I want to give you a chance to do that right now. If that's you, you need to trust Christ for your salvation. I want you to pray in your Right there, I, I led a guy through it, gave him these words, um, and maybe this, this will help you and do it in your own words. God, I admit I am a sinner. And I need to be saved from my sin. I turn from it, and I believe that Christ died for me. I believe it. I believe he rose from the grave. I receive his salvation. So thank you, God, for saving me. If you just prayed that, Look, right now, everybody's head's bowed, their eyes are closed. But you've begun something. The Lord has begun in you. He has given you new life. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I want to pray over you. Even if you're visiting with us and you live out of state, I don't care. For this moment, I want to pastor you. So what I want you to do is just lift your hand up. If you just prayed that prayer trust in Christ. I just want you to put your hand up so that I can pray over you. All right, you can put them down. God, for my brothers and sisters, as that's now what they're called, because of new life in Christ, I pray for, I pray for them to rest in the joy of salvation the freedom from sin, protect them from the lies of that enemy, that ancient enemy, protect them, Father. Thank you, God, for your salvation that you're still working. 
worship you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Here's what I want to do. Why don't we all stand? We're going to sing together just a response. Right? The people of God praising the one who has set us free. If you just made that decision to trust Christ for your salvation, we're going to be, there are a couple of us that would be right kind of down front here at the stage. You can come right now. If that scares you, grab the hand of the person that brought you. Say, come on, we got to go. I got I to do some business with the Lord. And they'll come with you, okay? We got rooms and spots in the back that we can pray with you, talk with you. We'll be down here after service as well. Don't leave. The next step is just tell someone and celebrate with them what God has done. Let's sing, worship, and praise our God.